been fun, and uh, several of you are here as uh, guests related to our children singing, and we're really glad you're here. Uh, I noticed a lot of you trying to get the uh, camera action going. By the way, you're not doing that now, but uh, for those of you that wanted to capture what just happened with our children, we're also videotaping that, and we will have a link to um, that website for you to be able to capture that off of our video if you want to get that later in the week. It'll be out on our um, weekly email blast. And if you're not on that mailing list, just put on your connection card that you'd like to have that link and we will email that link to you. Which also gives me the opportunity to let you know that all of our messages are videotaped and you have the opportunity to capture those if you happen to miss one or if you wanted to just uh, take it in again. In just a moment, I'm going to be reading from the New Testament from 1 Peter chapter 1. If you want to get your Bible and uh, find that and be ready to read with us. Before we get into what I have been addressing over these weeks related to Advent, uh, we had some horrific things take place this past Friday. And we want to give a moment to reflect on that, to think about that, and to pray about that. So without reliving all that's uh, transpired, you know that a schoolhouse in Connecticut um, suffered the tragedy of a guy going in and with uh, guns shooting people and killing people. And uh, when you say, what are we supposed to make of that? Um, there's a lot of theology about the fallenness that's a part of this world. And all you have to do is reflect to the time of Moses. And you'll remember that Moses was actually delivered from a time when a crazed person was having all of the male children killed. Fast forward to the time of Jesus. And at the very birth of Jesus that we're gathered today to celebrate, when Herod discovered this threat to his throne, he ordered all of the male children two years of age and younger to be killed. And they were by the sword throughout Bethlehem at the birth of Jesus. So these kinds of horrific, dark, evil things had been going on throughout uh, history since the fall. We're, this is a fallen world. This is a broken, busted world. And that's why we claim that there is good news. Good news is set against the backdrop of bad news. Bad news is this is a busted, broken world. Good news is God cares. And God is intervening. And God is seeking to redeem and to make a difference. 
so allow me to just suggest these few things for you. And perhaps you'll be in a conversation later today or this week with someone that you care about and you might want to pass some of these thoughts on to them. But uh, in terms of how do you respond to this kind of tragedy, allow me just to make uh, these brief suggestions. And the first is this. We must grieve. This is not something that you want to just turn the channel on. You don't want to think about it anymore. You want to suppress it. You want to get on with your holiday and things like that. This has been a tragedy, not only to those families immediately affected in Connecticut, but across our land. And it highlights one more time how depraved and how broken and fallen we are. We grieve that. And the Scriptures promise us that when we grieve, that we would be blessed. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The comfort that God can bring happens when we mourn, when we grieve, when we turn to Him about these broken, fallen things. The second thing I'll suggest to you is this. We must grieve with others. God has made us a communal people. We are designed to be in community with one another. This is not a time just to isolate about this or to ponder these things alone, but these are things to talk about with trusted others, to explore and to pray with others about. The Scriptures tell us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Let's engage each other about this. If your small group meets this week, engage about it. And then, we must rely on Christ. We're uh, told in Philippians 4, I have learned, this is Paul, I have learned the secret of living in every situation. How do you live in every situation? He said, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I, I must learn to rely on Him, lean on Him. You say, that's the thing I don't like about religion. Or that's the thing I don't like about faith. It's kind of like, you know, having a crutch. Well, friend, if you're crippled, you want a crutch. We're a crippled people, a crippled society. You want Christ to lean on. And you can lean on Him in this kind of way. You can lean on Him for stability. Psalm 125 says, Those who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion. They will not be defeated, but will endure forever. Lean on Him for salvation. He did rescue us from mortal danger. He will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in Him. And He will continue to rescue us. 2 Corinthians 1.10 And then lean on Him in order to be able to support others. We're told in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. You've had hard times. You've had some suffering. You've had some disappointment and some pain. God met you in that. God comforted you in that. You are now equipped for Him to use you to comfort someone else. And several of us are distressed about this. Several of us just don't even know how to begin to make sense of all this. And as God has worked in your life about some of these things, you allow Him to make you meaningful to someone else. 
So with those kinds of things in mind, I want us to pause and to pray for these families that have been so horrifically impacted by this in Connecticut. And of course, their extended families, that whole school community, uh, people will never be the same because of what has transpired. And let us pray for ourselves. Uh, we're all but one more crazed kind of circumstance or situation from this happening in our community or a community near to us. So let us pray, would you? And uh, as we pray, friend, don't just sit there and don't just listen to me. You pray. Would you pray for moms and dads who no longer have their child? God, give them grace. God, give them comfort. Would you pray for a school staff that has lost colleagues, that has lost students, that has been invaded and have no clue about how to go forward from here? God, would you be present with them? Would you embrace them? Would you touch them at deep places where they hurt? And Father, for this family of the young man who committed this tragedy, we can't even begin to comprehend how crazy they are about what's happened through their son or their brother or their nephew, however they're related to him. Would you be with that family? And Father, we pray for all of us that this terrible event would serve to remind us of what's important. To esteem you first and best. To more fully do life with you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, we are in Advent, a season where we engage God in ways that He prepares us about the coming of Christ, who's not only come once, but will come again. Are you ready for that? Are you prepared for that? Do you get that? Do these things matter and mean something to you? Let's talk for a few minutes about God's disposition toward you. The Scriptures affirm over and over again He loves you. He values you. He wants to bless you. That's His heart toward you. And the fact of the matter is, He has been, He is, and He will continue to gift us. To bless us. Because that's the kind of God that He is. Now, to get at this notion a little bit, I want to tell you a quick story. And then we're going to read a scripture and we'll be through. Okay? Uh, Matt Chandler tells this story about a friend of his who was quite serious about a girl that he was dating. You guys that are single, pay attention. Okay? So this guy is getting serious about this girl that he's dating. And so he picks her up on one occasion in his car. 
and he drives to a lake, and there they park at the lake. He gets her out of the car. They walk this little trail down to the lake, and there is a ski boat. They get into the ski boat because he's arranged for it to be there. They uh, drive around the lake a little bit, and then they end up on this little island where there's a picnic table that's spread with some food and drink. This guy thinks ahead. And so they enjoy a little time on the island. They eat a little bit, and, and uh, they get back in the boat. They ride around a little bit. They get back to the park. They walk the little trail back to the parking lot, and the guy's car is gone because it has been replaced with a limo. Now, at this point, the girl's thinking, this is different. Something very well may be up at this moment. So they get in the limo, and they begin to drive to a destination that she knows not, and they end up at this little airstrip with a plane. And there's a pilot there holding the door open, and he escorts his girlfriend upon the plane, and they take off from this little airstrip. And they fly uh, to this little destination that was out in farm country, and they literally land on a farm that has a little landing strip for their crop duster. And when they land at this little farmhouse, there's this beat-up old jalopy of a truck. They go and they get in the truck. The keys are there. He starts it and he begins to drive her down the road. No kidding. When I begin to hear this story, I'm like, who thinks of these things? Right? Because I'm like, you know, I, I'm so clueless. I'm like, Sherry, you just want to go to a movie? I, you know, I... <laughs> I have no creativity. I need this guy. So they get in the truck, and they begin to drive to the little nearby town where there's a college. They go to the heart of the college campus, and there is this chapel. And inside the chapel, there has been arrangements made so that there is an altar, there's candelabra, they're all lit. It looks like it's a setting for a wedding. And she is stunned and amazed and doesn't know what to say and he kind of points her toward the altar area where there's all these little rose petals leading up to it and she goes up to the altar and there's this card with her name on it and he says yeah yeah go ahead open it and so she opens it and she begins to read it out loud will you and of course boom, he drops to his knee pops out a ring and she says yes you know and so she's got this incredible moment they go back, they get in the beat-up jalopy of a truck. He takes her to this really nice restaurant where he sits down and begins to unpack all that's just transpired, all that's just happened. Now, guys, single guys, when you get engaged, there's going to be two questions that your girl is going to be asked a thousand times. Right, girls? Let me see it. They're going to want to look at the ring, okay? A thousand times she'll be showing that ring. And then the second question is, how did he do it? How did he ask you? How did he propose? How did he pop the question? And guys, you want to give the girl a good story. Because she's going to say it a thousand times, right? Yeah, well, he said, uh, hey, babe, what you doing the rest of your life? You just want to get married or what? See, not a good story, She's going to tell it a thousand times. So give her a story. But, but true story. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm not necessarily advocating that you're just over the top like this. I've never heard a story like this in my life. And so the guy takes her to a restaurant. He says, honey, let me tell you what's just happened. We went to the park in my car. 
that represents the normalcy of life. There will be a lot of things that are just normal in life. And here's what I promise you in all those normal times. I promise you this, I promise you that, etc. He goes, the, the, the time out on the boat, that's those times where life is really fun, where life is really exciting, where it just seems like things are going so well. And here's what I promise you during those kind of times. I'm going to be like this, I'm going to be like that, and so on he went. And he goes, but you know what? Then there will be those times in life where we are not really able to take ourselves, to carry ourselves. And that limo represents those times. It may be a hard time. It may be a debilitating time where someone else kind of has to carry us along to wherever we're headed next in our destination. And, of course, when we got on the plane and we began to uh, go up into the air and to soar, that represents those times spiritually where we'll engage God and God will engage us and we'll be on this pilgrimage of becoming like Christ. And during those times, I promise you to be like this, and I promise you to be like that, and so on. And he goes, and then when we landed and we got in the old truck, listen, that's when we're old and aged. And we're not going to work as well as we once worked. We're not going to look as well as we once looked. But here's what I promise you during those days. I'm going to be there for you in this kind of way. I'm going to be for you that kind of way, and so on like that. Who thinks of these things? I'm, I'm like, I still can't even imagine the guy thinking of these things. And, of course, she has this tremendous story to tell for the rest of her life about how she was proposed to and how they got engaged. And, and guys, I, I can just imagine. I, it's not my reality, so I can just imagine. For years, he's able to live off this uh, whole proposal, right? <laughs> She's like, uh, honey, could you help me in the kitchen tonight? And he goes, are you kidding me? I got you a plane. <laughs> I mean, I can just see that going for a long time. But anyway, here's, uh, here's what else is true. This guy has just made a ton of promises. He has stacked promise on top of promise on top of promise. And God bless him for it. I, I'm, I'm grateful that God would think like that and, and look to lean on God in those kinds of ways. But here's the rest of that reality. Here's the rest of the truth. He has no idea what he's getting into. He's never been married. He has no idea how hard marriage can be. He has no idea how low sometimes you can feel in that relationship. As well as how high it sometimes can soar. So even though he's got some concept about it, he's, he's got some commitment about it, and he's going to look to God in a lot of ways. And I pray God's blessings on, on this guy. He really doesn't know what he's getting into. And I say all that to say this. God has made you Promise after promise after promise after promise. He loves you, wants to embrace you, wants to do the rest of life, the rest of eternity with you. He wants to be in a covenant relationship with you that the Bible says is like a marriage and not like this young guy. He knows every single thing there is to know about life. He knows exactly what he's getting into. He knows exactly what He's promising. He knows exactly that He can deliver on every single promise. That's the difference we're talking about today. So, let's think about that for just a moment. What are some of those promises that He's made? And I'm just going to hit this really quick because there's so many of them. He's going to save those who believe in Jesus. 
What a gift. I mean, we could spend the next month just talking about that gift of saving grace. He's going to give people eternal life that is so secure. And I'm going to talk about this more next week. It's so secure, it can never be snatched from his hand. A person can never lose that saving relationship and that eternal life that he's going to give. That is an enduring gift. He will meet our every need, the Scripture says, according to His riches in glory through Christ Jesus. There's not a need He can't and will not meet or address in your life in ways that bless you and glorify Him. There's a lot that we can say about that. His grace will be sufficient no matter the circumstance. Now, friend, I'm, a, I'm going to tell you about the, the scenario in Connecticut. The families who know Christ and have a vibrant living relationship with Christ will go through this circumstance significantly different than those that don't know Christ. And I don't mean to imply it will be easy and that it won't be full of grief and sorrow and heartache and tears. It will have all of that. But there will be a hope there will be this rock and this foundation in their life that will see them through that. That's not true for people outside of faith. His grace will be sufficient for them in all of the agony of this. The promises can go on. He, he will not allow us to be overtaken by temptation. It doesn't say He won't keep us from being tempted. What the promise is, is that He will be with us in temptations to such an extent if we will lean on Him, we will not succumb to temptation. Every time we succumb to temptation, we didn't lean on Him in some kind of way. We began to, to get wayward. We could talk a lot about that promise. He will give us victory over death. He will make all things work for good for those of us that love Him, know Him, live for Him. No circumstance, no situation will be wasted. He'll make them all work for good in some kind of way. He will not allow anything to separate us from His love for us. This in Christ Jesus. You read more of Romans 8 about that whole promise. He's not going to promise to keep you away from evil and hard times and depths of despair and all kinds of awful tragic things that happen in this life. What His promise is is that in all of those things, nothing will be able to separate you from His love for you. What a promise. And then just a few more. His peace will guard our hearts. A peace that passes our understanding. A peace that doesn't make sense to have peace in such a tumultuous kind of situation. He will give you wisdom if you lack it. At any point, parent, there's a lot of points. <laughs> He will give you wisdom. Spouses, there's a lot of points. He will give you wisdom. In your workplace, He will give you wisdom. With that hard-to-deal-with, hard-to-love person, He will give you wisdom. He will hear our prayers. Oh, thank you, Jesus. He will be with us always. Now, listen. I could go on and on and on and on. You know I could. But here is the reality. 2 Corinthians one twenty says... All the promises of God, all of them, find their yes in Jesus. That is, why through Jesus, 
we utter our amen to God for His glory. See, He's given us a down payment. That guy gave that girl not only the experience of a lifetime, he gave her a ring. That was, that was like a promise to her of, of how all these other promises are going to come to pass. And having given us Jesus, that is that engagement ring, that is that promise that says all the other promises will come to pass. Somebody counted it up. I don't know how you go about doing that, but somebody counted in Scripture there are 7,959 promises that God makes to you. I just surveyed 12 of them. I mean, you have to let that sink in for a minute. Let's just say, I want to take one promise today. I want to think about that. I want to meditate upon that. I want to kind of be embraced by that promise. If I did one promise per day, I'd be doing one promise a day for 22 years. That's how many promises He's made to you. That's the kind of God that He is. That's the way His heart is bent toward you. That'd be a moment to say hallelujah. I mean, are you you getting what I'm saying? Remarkable. So, having said all that, we're going to read Scripture and then we'll be through. And if you found that, you'll want to read it with me in 1 Peter chapter 1. Beginning in verse 3, Peter got it. That's why he begins this by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Keep your Bible open. Keep looking at these verses. Let me just say uh, two or three things about those aspects of how He has delivered this to us. By His mercy... He has caused us to be born again. You have a faith in Jesus Christ. You believe that His death upon the cross atoned for your sin. You've asked Him to forgive you. You've asked Him to adopt you as a son of God or a daughter of God. That all happens because of His mercy. Whereby He has caused you to be born again. He's the author of your salvation. That new birth, that new life that He begins to germinate within you stirs and creates a living hope. My friend, this is a dark world. There's a lot of bad stuff that happens in this world. There's no good reason to hope if you really understand what's going on in this world unless there's been a an eternal hope implanted in you that says this is not all there is. There's something beyond what we're looking at here in this broken, busted thing. 
And He has acquired that for you, that living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus. See, all that darkness, all that bustedness, all those Connecticut kind of shootings of all history and time, focal point brought onto the shoulders of Jesus right there at the cross, kills Him, and He does not stay dead. He conquers the grave and resurrects and thereby gives every single person living hope. And speaking of that enduring nature of this inheritance that He's going to bestow on all of His children, it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. Friend, when I read that phrase, and I meditated over it a good bit this week in preparation for today, I was like, man, that's like endurance on steroids. That's just like imperishable, undefiled, unfading. He is going to endure with every gift that He's promised and that He's delivering. Kept in heaven by God's power. Now, even though something may transpire in this broken, busted world where it looks like you just got ripped off from some promise that God gave you, I promise you there are parents in Connecticut that feel like they have been ripped off from great promises that God had for them about their child. But those promises are kept in safeguard-keeping in heaven. God's going to make good on what He was up to with those families that it looks like today has been destroyed. This happens against the backdrop of when, against which you will grieve. Peter admits that. He says, even though you are in grievous circumstances, in grievous times, you will still at a deep place be able to rejoice because you know it's temporary. You know that God, who is the great shepherd that will go through the valley of the shadows of death, as David said, will carry you through whatever valley of shadows you're in. It's temporary. And even though you grieve, you can at a deep place also rejoice. Because that's not the end of the story. And all of that births within you, wells up within you a confidence. Not a confidence about humanity. Not a confidence about the innate goodness of man and all. I'm sorry, those things are just not real. A confidence that there's a good, powerful, sovereign, loving, gifting God who's got your back. And when you have that kind of confidence welling within you, See, that reveals you've got a genuine faith that can endure. See, there's all kinds of faith. And what the Scriptures are admonishing is that you bet your life on Jesus in such a way that no matter what kind of fires trials, tests, grievous things you go through, your faith is only refined. It's never destroyed. It's only made brighter and more brilliant and more glorious unto Christ if you have a legitimate, genuine faith. 
So, let me finish with this. So what? So, some whacked guy makes all these promises to a girl and God makes promises and blah, blah, blah. So what? Our conviction today, friends, is that this hour has been a divine appointment for you. God knew you'd be here. God knew what we'd be talking about, what we'd be addressing. He, he stirred and led and prompted us to do what we've been doing in this hour for this moment, for you to reflect, and for you to be able to figure out, so what? And I'm going to make these two suggestions to you. The so what would call for a faith, a legitimate, genuine faith that will repent of life without God, that will repent of rejecting Jesus. And you go, okay, let me just get honest with you, Scott. I'm here today for whatever reason, and I really don't care that much about religion. I really don't care that much about any religion, Christianity included. I don't care that much about Jesus. If there is a heaven, if there is a hell, I'd like to go to heaven. But I don't even know if there's a heaven and there's a hell. So when you talk to me about repentance and stop rejecting Jesus and all that, you know, that doesn't even compute to me. So let me just say this. The whole notion of heaven is Jesus. You see, when Jesus prays in John 17 that, Father, You would give them eternal life, He then defines what eternal life is. He says, I pray that You'll give them eternal life which is knowing You. It's knowing God. It's knowing Jesus. It's having a relationship with Him. Now listen, in our finitude, in our limited language, we try to say something about what that is like. And so we talk about streets of gold, gates of pearl, walls of jasper, blah, blah, blah. But what it all is, is Jesus. And conversely, we, we use limited language to talk about hell as a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and a lake of fire and so on. But, but basically, all that is getting us to say eternity without Jesus. So whatever notions you have about, you know, if there is a heaven and hell, I certainly would want to go to heaven. I don't want hell, blah, blah, blah. It's just not that minimalist or reductionist. It is about Jesus. And so, my call in the name of Christ to you today is this. Stop rejecting the gift that He purposes to give you and receive that gift, which is redemption and life. In Jesus. Now, I know we throw words around all the time. Let me say this about redemption. You see, God, we found this out two weeks ago. God purposed to give you all of these gifts before He ever created anything. The Bible says it this way, before the foundations of the world. 
His gifts have never been lost. We have been lost. And so when that whole Garden of Eden thing happened, nothing happened to God, nothing happened to His gifts, something happened to us. And redemption says, I got lost from God's gifts. I got lost from God's goodness. Redemption says, come back over here to the gifts, to the God of the gifts, to life that's found in Jesus. So, redemption buys me back from my lostness so that I have that life in and with Jesus. So what? Here's what. Will you bet your life that that's true and stop rejecting Jesus and receive the gifts of God? I'm going to pray for you about that. Will you bow with me? Will you close your eyes for just a moment? Will you focus with me for just a moment? God, I'm praying for every friend that's been hearing this that Your Spirit would be penetrating the heart Convincing of truth. Dispelling distortions and deceptions. And leaving us at a place where we could be born again. So God, in this moment, would You continue to bring mercy and to bring grace to every heart? Would You allow faith to be birthed within us? that we would trust You, that we would hope in You, that we would lean toward You? Would You bring the gifts of redemption and life to us? We pray that. We plead that. In Jesus' name.